welcome to Dr. M's Women and Children First podcast. I am your host, Dr. M, and this is podcast number 54. Today's guest is Dr. Doug Thompson. Dr. Thompson is a 27-year veteran of dentistry. Since he graduated from the University of Michigan School of Dentistry back in 1996, Dr. Thompson is a teacher, a researcher, and a trailblazer in the field of modern dentistry. Today, we're going to travel down paths that lead to explanations as to why oral health is so important to systemic and truly whole human health. We look back in time and follow a timeline to the present day research that says we have scientific knowledge through laboratory study that the oral microbiome, the bacteria that reside within the oral cavity, as well as the oral system's function have far-reaching effects on the heart, the intestines, pregnancy, general metabolic health, and so much more, including over 50 diseases. Over the decades, Dr. Thompson realized that the science needed a portal to the masses, and specifically to other dental professionals. Usher in the project called the Wellness Dentistry Network, circa 2015. The Wellness Dentistry Network is an internet-based community of dentists with a keen awareness of how oral conditions affect whole body health. It is a forum for Dr. Thompson and his colleagues to use research to develop advanced practice ideas and models to thwart systemic health concerns that may arise from oral health dysfunction and challenges. On his website, Integrative Oral Medicine, Dr. Thompson states that he believes in an interdisciplinary treatment model that coordinates dental care with other medical professionals for total body health care for his patients, who are at the center of all decisions. He employs advanced DNA bacterial testing methods and other leading-edge dental science to enable early risk assessment and personalized treatment planning. To me, this remains the future of all healthcare disciplines, collaboration, cooperation, and patient-centered healthcare. So let's dive into the oral cavity with Dr. Doug Thompson. Well, hello and good day to you, Dr. Douglas Thompson. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show and welcome from, I understand it's Seattle, Washington, correct? Thank you, Chris. Yeah, I'm out here this morning uh, involved in learning and teaching, so it's a great day. Well, I appreciate you giving back to the world everywhere you are teaching today up there and also teaching the audience today on our podcast. And we're going to look into the world of the tooth. And I'm pretty excited to go down this road with you because the tooth is uh, the, the pathway towards all nourishment, which then leads to all function in the body. So without teeth, it's a big struggle. So let's really dive into that. But before we get into the the data around teeth and what's going on, periodontal disease. How did you get into the world that you're in now where you are really thinking outside the box and looking at teeth from the perspective of how does the oral microbiome, how does the mouth, how does everything lead to systemic disease, not just actually the tooth? Yeah, Chris, it's uh, it's an interesting story. I, I was a lab technician, a dental lab technician, and I made crowns and bridges. I started doing that at 17 years old. So um, that was um, over 43 years ago. And I um, I worked in a dental lab and then I decided uh, in my dental lab uh, experience, I decided in my mid-20s to go to dental school. And so I didn't go to dental school until I was 30. And I went to University of Michigan. And at University of Michigan, I met a microbiologist uh, named Walter Loesch. And Walter Loesch was one of the founders or one of the key researchers in the drug metronidazole, uh, Flagyl, uh, that we would uh, give to people. And when I asked Walter, what was the significance of Flagyl? He said, certain bacteria are susceptible to it. 
and they um, and it can control their uh, their environment. And at the time, we only had culture media that grew bacteria. We didn't have PCR DNA analysis or other fancy ways of of extrapolating what's in a saliva sample. And what he just basically said to me is, if you control some of these bad acting bugs uh, and you can help people, uh, you can not only have a big impact on their teeth, but uh, we're thinking, uh, this is now going back into the 90s, we're thinking that these bacteria cause a lot of other downstream issues for the patient. And so what we know now conclusively is that the mouth and the oral microbiome makeup of the mouth has a significant impact on systemic health. And if I could summarize what it does, it affects your vascular system probably the most. And your vascular system feeds your heart, feeds your brain, uh, 60,000 miles of blood vessels feed your whole body. So we now have simple swish and spit or swish, you know, swish and uh, collect saliva samples. Uh, we can send them to a testing company, probably eight different labs now, inexpensive. And we can learn about the makeup of the oral microbiome. And I can tell you if it's pathogenic, disease producing, it's a problem. It can be a problem and we're up to 57 cross-reference systemic diseases now uh, from what happens in your mouth. So it's a fascinating opportunity for us if we like the microbiology portion of our profession. And right. I have, so that's how I got into it. And then when I started to see people write me notes like, Thanks for saving my life. I thought that was a little dramatic. Uh, when I started to get those notes <laughs> from people, I, you know, I thought maybe we are having a big impact on people that we don't realize. And um, and the fact now is that we are. And Chris, my practice is in uh, a suburb of Detroit, Michigan. And one of my most unique referrals I got was from a physician in Massachusetts. That's a long ways from Michigan. And the patient lived in Belgium. So I had a patient fly from Belgium and spend a half a day in my office uh, for an evaluation. And I can tell you periodontal disease is probably a disease of 65% plus of the adult population. And we treat in dentistry, we use codes and we use insurance uh, submission codes that suggest we treat less than 5% of it. So we have a big gap, a big chasm to close, and I want to help do that. And I want to help train offices how to do that. And I want to help train the lay population about what they need to do to find out if it's them or not. Right. That's the idea. Yeah. And that's a beautiful way of looking at it, because for me as a pediatrician, seeing children uh, you know, their birth comes through mom, and we're going to get into this in a little bit, the the periodontal situation that occurs prenatally that can lead to issues with the child being born. But then subsequently, depending on what happens in their lives, these children end up with early size, early signs of periodontal disease, which to your point leads to lots of systemic illness. So what do we know about the current state of periodontal disease and health in children and adolescents primarily. And then we're going to shift gears and look at some of the, the, the disease causing activities. Yeah. The um, most of the, most children, uh, their first go around with inflammation is when they start to uh, when they get their adolescent or their, um, their deciduous teeth, their baby teeth, other uh, baby teeth come in and you hear mom say, Oh, she's teething. That's why she's so cranky or she's getting her molars are coming in. And, you know, as a, it's a beautiful process where these teeth erupt out of the gum and out of the bone. And until they do that, 
um, the microbiome in the baby's mouth is basically transmitted from the mother or the primary caregiver. Uh, we know that the bacteria seeding happens in the birth canal. So kids that are born cesarean, uh, kids that are born uh, non-vaginally have some other uh, microbiome uh, differences than, than kids that come through the birth canal. So it's a, it's a, that's where it starts. And that microbiome, if the primary caregiver has a pathogenic microbiome, then they're going to pass that on to the child and the child could have issues. And most of the children in the, before they become adolescents, most of them struggle with the disease called caries. Uh, caries is a disease of the person. That's it. We call that caries. A cavity is a disease of the two, is a, is a, is a result of the, of the, of the disease caries, and that affects the tooth. So when we see kids that need fillings, we already know they have, Chris, what we would call a dysbiosis, right? They have a, they have an, a, a, they have a, a biofilm that's not healthy. It's pathogenic. And what those bacteria do, and it's a different group of bacteria than the ones that cause gum disease. What those bacteria do is they use any kind of sugary substance it can be bottle, it can be milk, it could be uh, any juice box, anything like that. Uh, they use the sugar in those products to create acid. And the acid attacks the enamel, which is the hardest portion of substance in our body. The acid attacks the enamel. And if it's exposed long enough, there's even different micro niches on the tooth uh, that have certain groups of bacteria. And if that tooth is exposed long enough to those acid producing bacteria that in our profession, we would call acetogenic or aciduric. If they have these, these acid producing bacteria, they get a cavity. And what a lot of dentists do is they fill the cavity and they obviously get paid for that, but they don't, and then they just wait for the next one. They don't do anything to attack the microbiome to change the makeup so that we don't have this process going on. And that's because we just didn't know, um, you know, about that. And there's probably more than 40 bacteria now that are involved in that process. Um, sometimes we simplify it to one or two, but it's, um, there's about 40 that make a big, that make a big uh, difference. So up until we're 12, 13, 14 years old, the biggest problem typically is caries. Um, that's the big deal. Now, we also have research to show that those caries bacteria, the main actors in the caries process, they also affect the biology of our blood vessel wall. So this disease of, of vascular degradation, this starts happening in, in basically children and, and even in uh, adolescents. And right now the American Heart Association is recommending that kids get their first cholesterol screening between seven and 10. So when you think about how early these diseases are starting to happen because of our lifestyle, our diet, our, uh, you know, how, how we live and how, and how disease susceptible our society is, it's amazing that we have children that have arteries of already 30-year-olds in their, in their, in their preteens. So, uh, you know, no wonder where some of us are dying much quicker, you know, than other people. So, so this is the big disease of the, of the child and behavior modification, dietary control, 
and awareness are the things that would really create big change for our little people. I'm always sensitive to any little child that has a problem. And because you have a pediatric interest, Chris, it would also be remiss if I didn't mention from a health and wellness standpoint that if you have any child that's sleeping, that makes sleeping sounds, grinds their teeth, snores, has a problem breathing, um, that's something that absolutely needs to be looked at because childhood sleep disordered breathing is another big developmental issue. So we have kids with tongue ties. We have kids that can't nurse. We have kids with underdeveloped jaws and face. And it's all happening um, because there's some structure issues that causes your body to compensate and you end up with some comorbidity from the compensation. Underdevelopment, uh, crooked teeth, um, speech impediment, uh, malnourishment, all kinds of things happen. And um, nursing and the ability to put our tongue up on the roof of our mouth and latch onto a nipple is one of the first competencies we need to have to survive. And if we do that, then that force of the tongue up on the roof of the mouth spreads out the jaws, makes room for the teeth, creates the base of the nose, helps you breathe. And if you can't do that, there's a problem. Something's going to suffer from that. So those are two big things. Caries and sleep disorder breathing are my two biggest concerns for anybody under 14, under 12. Uh, and we like start to work on these kids at four and five years old that have huge tonsils and adenoids and that kind of thing. Yeah. So let's push on a couple of those I think are really important. So when I interviewed Dr. Peter Unger, we talked a lot about the development of the tooth. And one of the pieces that I thought was super fascinating and why anthropologically this happens is that the odontoblast, which makes the, the dentin layer, continues to exist in the tooth forever, whereas the ameloblasts, which make the the enamel piece, they fall off the end and then you're done. So that makes critical importance to the understanding, to your point here, if we have biofilms with lots of bacteria that are acidogenic and they're burning through that enamel and it's your second set of teeth, you're in trouble, right? You're, so totally, you're, you're totally in trouble and I'll make that easy. If you have caries on the tooth, in our estimation, that tooth is ultimately hopeless. So you have to get, you have to get that uh, you're, as far as risk assessment, right? When we do a risk analysis for people, I tell them, you know, you have four teeth that are hopeless. And they say, why is it hopeless? Well, how can I change that? You can change it by doing the repair, but we have to change it by altering the microbiome so other teeth don't become hopeless. That's right. the idea. So let's, let's push on that piece now. So the teeth are sitting there and we're consuming foodstuffs, whatever they are, whether it was the anthropologic historical piece, which is fibrous based vegetables, which are really not problematical. But then we switch into this soft food, flour based, sugar based, which changed the, the bacterial source of food, right? So we end up with these things called biofilms. Number one, describe for the audience what a biofilm is. Most people I think have heard about it, but we don't tend to understand truly what a biofilm is. And this is what makes it's so interesting in the pathogenesis because they can do certain things as bacteria. Yeah. I think most people probably know if they had some sugary drink or some sugary food, um, if you get up in the morning and you really clean your teeth and your teeth feel smooth and your teeth feel amazing. Um, and then later on in the day, you eat these sugary substances and you feel your teeth with your tongue and it feels kind of furry. You know, it feels kind of rough. 
Um, we know we typically call that plaque. Uh, we call it plaque and it grows in our teeth, but really what it is, it's a whole community of bacteria. Uh, bacteria, yeast, and viruses, Chris, are all part of the biofilm. And what it does is it makes layers, uh, very well-organized layers, a community, if you will, like uh, like a cloud. You got the base of the cloud, the middle of the cloud, and the top of the cloud. And if you've ever been on an airplane, you know when you get above the clouds, it's amazing. But you can see the cloud makeup and the thickness of the cloud. And I can tell you different bacteria live on the bottom of the cloud that live in the middle of the cloud and different ones live on the top of the cloud. And this biofilm set up to survive. It's set up to feed each other. It's set up to communicate with each other. And it's very sophisticated. Well, let's just say some clouds produce, uh, uh, have are white and fluffy and they're healthy. And some clouds are dark and mean and they produce violent storms. That's the same thing with your biofilm. Your biofilm can be friendly and commensal and healthy uh, and help protect your tooth or your biofilm can be pathogenic. But those pathogenic bacteria, some of them are there normally as we live, um, but only in a concentration of maybe 5% of the entire biomass. You start to get disease producing and that, that whole biomass can be up to 50% or more pathogenic. And it can cause a lot of disease for a lot of, for a lot of people. So the problem with the biofilm are, if you attack it with a rinse, if you attack it with an antibiotic, if you attack it some way, some of those bacteria are not going to get exposed to the rinse or the antibiotic because they're protected. So the biofilm diseases are very tenacious and they're much more difficult to control than and to manage than just a single bacterium floating around that we could kill with an easy antibiotic. So biofilms are complex structures. They have their own ecosystem. They're protective and they're very difficult for us to manage. And we're learning in dentistry that we have to become, to be successful, to prevent disease and to stop disease and to regress disease. We have to become experts at looking at and managing biofilm because that's what's happening. And if the biofilm is pathogenic, we need to know about it. And again, we have simple tests that can allow us to determine that. And these tests are, just to give you a reference, they're probably under $150. Right. And so when we think about a biofilm, again, we're looking at this complex organizational structure of a community of different bacteria. And to your point, there's uh, fungi or yeasts and, vi and sure. viruses in there, but the bacteria are the primary troublemakers. Right. Uh, outside of dietary influences, which I think most people know, sugar and flour are troublesome to the tooth. What else is driving this biofilm? Uh, you you did lean into already oral breathing, mouth breathing, I call it. How is yeah. that dysfunctional to the biofilm development? Yeah, the mouth the mouth breathing situation causes a diminution or a reduction in our saliva quality and content, so quantity. So if we have less saliva, saliva is the buffering material. Saliva is very sophisticated uh, fluid and it has buffering capacity to counteract uh, the acid effects. We eat foods, Chris, that are rich in arginine. We produce saliva that, um, that, is, uh, that counteracts the acid. It neutralizes the mouth so that we can control the acidic environment. But the problem is if we intake too much sugar 
right? We go down to 7-Eleven, we get a big gulp in the morning. I mean, you know, we have, I see people walk into 7-Eleven with thermoses the size of a gallon milk jug and they fill it up with soda and they sip on it all day long. And then they get another one on the way home from work. And um, they, uh, this just constantly feeds the bacteria that need that sugar. And, um, and what happens is our saliva at some point in the day says, stop, I don't have enough, I don't have enough uh, pH balanced saliva to counteract this anymore. And the mouth sits for half the day in an acidic environment and we get, you know, we, we ruin the teeth. So mouth breathing changes the saliva content. Anything else that changes our saliva content is going to have a big impact. We have diseases, Sjogren's syndrome. We have different diseases that also affect the saliva content. So managing good saliva quality is going to be one of the first defenses against um, against uh, the car the caries process and then eating the right foods. And what about mechanically debriding the teeth? I mean, how do we do that? You know, we do that with a toothbrush and we do that with floss or a water pick or something like that, but keeping your mouth clean. And why do we need to do it a couple of times a day? Because we miss part of it the first time, you know? So between a couple of times a day, we, we, uh, we can manage the biofilm um, and just cleaning your teeth can make a really big difference in what your body's exposed to. And you're swallowing that stuff all day too. So that's the right. other thing. Right. And, and so let's just segue there since you already started that discussion with the swallowing piece. So what, what does the swallowing aspect of swallowing these different bacterial uh, types, what does that have to do with the, the remainder of the systemic problem that we're talking about, we're going to talk about? Well, some of those bacteria, as I mentioned, are acetogenic or aciduric. So some of those bacteria can withstand the stomach acid and they can move past that and they get into the intestines and the colon. And Chris, there's probably more research or as much research around one of these little rascals called Fusobacterium nucleatum. There's probably a, tr there's a tremendous amount of research about that uh, pathogenic organism and colorectal cancer. So these bacteria get into other places and they lodge into the, into the cell walls. They, they, um, they break up the membrane that's in our colon that protects our are the inside of our body from what's on the outside of our body. You know, we don't think about it, but your body's built like a donut, right? It has a hole in the top and a hole in the bottom. And that that's a there's a barrier in there. You know, the things you take in your mouth aren't supposed to get into your body unless they're good for you. Right? You have a you have a we have a you a very sophisticated uh, set of biologic machinery that moves the good stuff uh, from our inside of our mouth and inside of our colon to the um, you know to our body if we need it. But some stuff doesn't make it. It gets passed on. And uh, when the bugs upset that barrier, that's when we get irritable bowel, celiac disease. We get all these issues. So if you have gut health issues, um, that's a, that can be part of the oral microbiome. And if you have cancer in the colon, that could be uh, part of the oral microbiome. So these, again, 57 different diseases, Chris, we're up to. And some of them are, are deep internal into our body. They're not all superficial in our mouth. Right. And I, and I've been studying the oral microbiome for a good part of a over almost a decade and a half going on two decades now and there the data on the oral microbiomes when it I mean excuse me the uh, intestinal microbiome has been the strongest data uh, when it comes to what are the upstream risk factors, whether it is dietary influences, antibiotic exposure, and acid exposure, all of those 
problematical lifestyle-based choices of human existence right now. But when we think about the oral microbiome, and you have studied this, you know, implicitly on so many levels, what are the major upstream risk factors for dysbiosis of the oral microbiome? And I know we've touched on a few of them already, but just sort of list them in order of risk and then outcome. Well, the um, the first thing that is the contamination that we get uh, from that we acquire some some of these pathogenic microorganisms from a certain place. And so let's just say you're exposed to them. Um, just being exposed to them doesn't mean that you're going to end up with a dysbiosis because your body might be able to uh, your body might be able to uh, ward off uh, the growth of some of those. But if you have conditions that support the growth of those, and there's so many things, Chris, you have, we have environmental risk factors and we have innate risk factors. We have risk factors of our genetics, how we're born. And, you know, some people are just susceptible to certain diseases and that can be uh, because our body has defense mechanisms uh, like, uh, you know, beta defense and our, our toll receptors. Uh, uh, there's different systems that our body uses to manage uh, these pieces. And if you have a genetic variation in those, in those uh, situations, you might be more susceptible. So one of the first things I tell somebody when they come in and they have periodontal disease, Chris, it's not their fault. They don't have periodontal disease because they don't know how to brush their teeth. I have people who know how to brush their teeth and they can have periodontal disease. It's a disease of susceptibility. It's not a disease of neglect. And those are different things. So don't, people should not feel guilty because they have the disease process. So the genetic piece is significant. And so is the, and then, and then if you have a genetic propensity or a predisposition now you really better manage your environmental P's and Q's, right? That's getting the right amount of sleep, eating the right nutrition, staying hydrated, staying hydrated, not being exposed to pollutants and things that cause uh, problems like mold and fungus. Uh, those are the big main actors. Uh, so there's, so I would, uh, you know, listing things in in a certain order is okay, but I want people to understand that it's a there's many things that go into the hopper that makes your susceptibility what it is. And if you have a, a disease susceptibility, then we got to figure out where's the weakest link and what can we do to counteract the weakest link. Uh, we also know that there's certain healthy bacteria in your mouth that make good substances for our body, like nitric oxide, right? Nitric oxide is a vasodilator. It helps keep our, uh, maintain our blood vessel health. And so if you have a pathogenic microorganism, a pathogenic biofilm, or you have um, a lack of even healthy bacteria, they get squelched when the bad ones grow too much, then there's other, there's other influences that affect the makeup of the microbiome and, and, the, um, and, and has, has other systemic health effects. So your body, if you have a healthy microbiota, it basically wants to stay healthy and it's not so hard to get it to disease. It wants to stay healthy. If you have an unhealthy microbiota, it wants to stay unhealthy and it has to be adjusted. And that's why so many people lose their teeth. They end up losing their teeth and many other people go on to lose key aspects of their health. Uh, and there's, there's physicians out there, Chris, that think, 
50% of heart attacks and strokes could be preventable from non-detected dental disease. I don't have I don't have hard science to show that, but this is the way the physicians are thinking about this that are serious about preventive uh, cardiovascular disease. A dental evaluation and evaluating the oral microbiome is critical to starting to stabilize those early disease processes. So if anybody has a family member that had a heart attack or a stroke or has early dementia or cognitive decline in their 40s or 50s or 60s, they there could be a strong genetic component and there could be uh, a strong environmental influence. And those people need to be evaluated very carefully. Yeah, and I think to your point, it's a continuum of time. So again, from the pediatric anthropologic lens, this stuff starts right out of the gate. To your point, Holy. there's cardiovascular disease being seen in 10-year-olds and 16-year-olds who get in heart and car wrecks and they look at the, uh, during an autopsy and they find vessel disease already. So this is coming out right out of the gate. So the modifiable upstream risk factors are where we need to be paying the most attention. Then to your point, if you're older or you have a strong family history of these systemic autoimmune or neurodegenerative or cardiovascular issues, then that is a genetic predisposition possibility. To your point, you know, you look at the deep dive on research related to lipoprotein activity. And historically, we just thought these were mistakes of, of our existence. And it's not. These lipoproteins, especially HDL and LDL, are involved in microbial trafficking. You know, nope. they have the, they have the ability to grab these microbes, the lipopolysaccharides, the LTE uh, cell wall debris and shuttle it back to the liver for clearance. So these were not mistakes of evolution so much as we are now a susceptible society because our upstream modifiable risk factors are not going in the right direction. We're going all in the wrong direction with diet. To your point, it's beautiful to hear a dentist speaking to the whole human right? You're not just talking about it's the tooth, right? It's the, the mouth. It is the sleep. It is the, uh, the immune solvency that is driven by so many other major lifestyle choices that we make. And we didn't even touch on vaping, smoking, you know, other things that could mess with saliva. So to your point, I think that's such a beautiful way of seeing how oral health and periodontal health affects the entire human frame. Yeah, and I know, uh, Chris, or your listening audience can't see it, but um, for me and you that are looking at each other on a video feed, um, you know, behind me in the background is a, is a background called Inside the Wellness Dentistry Network, and it's just a Zoom background. Um, but what the Wellness Dentistry Network is, is really, it's a group of those dentists that are thinking this way. And we realize that in dentistry, you know, it's gotten so sophisticated to repair the teeth and we want, and we try to create beautiful smiles and, you know, we have to know how to do that. And we do that as part of our dentistry, but I am involved with a group of dentists who really want to go way beyond just making pretty smiles. You know, they want to not only make pretty smiles, but man, I want those people who are carrying those smiles to live as long as they can and have vitality and longevity. I mean, that's the idea. And with just a little bit of knowledge, you can do so much for people. And, uh, and it's amazing. And I know you, you hit on smoking and vaping, you know, I would just uh, have our listening audience know very simplistically, the two biggest risk factors, the two biggest risk factors for periodontal disease progression is going to be smoking, e-cigarettes, vaping, and, um, and diabetes. So poor blood sugar management. 
Uh, Chris, we actually coach our patients. I want every patient, I don't care how old you are, I want every patient to have an experience wearing a continuous glucose monitor for a while. Because when you look at what happens to your blood sugar, when you eat sugar of any kind, it's amazing. I have people who eat lentils. You think a lentil would be like a healthy thing for you. It's healthy for most people, but I have some people who spikes their blood sugar at over 200, you know, 230 a lentil. You wouldn't even think of it like that. So just so we really need to have a different relationship with food and know what ha what's happening in our body when we eat foods. For instance, something as simple like if I have a handful of fruit in the morning, my blood sugar will get a little bit elevated. But if I add five almonds to it or 10 almonds to it, a little bit of protein, now my blood sugar stays pretty level. So we just, you know, and if you think about what we're doing day after day, year after year, uh, we want to make it easy for our body to recover. That's the idea. We're all going to eat pizza every now and then, or we're all going to eat some, we're all going to do some of these things every now and then. And in moderation, it's okay. But when we right. get overboard, when we get too much, then we start to get uh, disease. Yeah, volumetric and, and frequency are the big keys of this. All right, let's shift gears a little bit. So we've touched on it, but we haven't really described what it is because I don't think most people truly understand. We've talked about the caries. We've talked about the actual tooth damage. Let's get into periodontal disease because in children, it doesn't that doesn't appear to be the bigger problem. But as we age, periodontal disease becomes a much bigger problem. And let's get into the terms like gingival sulcus, you know, things that that matter to you, but help people understand why the the gums are so critically important in this process as well. Yeah, what the gums tell us is um, the gums tell us a lot of information. So any competent dentist that is um, that is uh, interested in helping people understand disease, um, they're going to do they have a team of professionals in their office called dental hygienists. And dental hygienists are people who are passionate all day long about we think they just clean teeth. I've changed the term in my practice. I don't call them hygienists. I call them periodontal therapists because what they do is they really identify who has disease and who doesn't. And the gum health is part of what tells us that. So we have small little calibrated instruments in our practice called probes. They're little, they're, it's almost like the thickness of a spaghetti noodle, a thin spaghetti noodle. <clears throat> and it has calibrated measurements on the side of it. And when the, one of the first things we do when you come into the dental office is we do uh, gum mapping or we do periodontal probing. It's basically a chart that tells us how deep that crevice is between the gum and the tooth, Chris. And you called that a sulcus. Um, that tells us how deep that, that sulcus is be, between the gum and the tooth. And twos and threes are pretty normal. Two and three millimeter measurements are normal. We start getting over three millimeters and what happens is that pocket gets deep, it gets deeper. And when we measure on some people, it can get to be eight and nine millimeters, seven, eight, nine millimeters, and they don't even know it. It's painless. You don't know it. Unless you examine for it, you might not find it. And what you, what I, what a lot of people might understand is like, if you have different depths in the ocean, you know, you have different fish or different species that live at certain depths. You've seen these depth charts, you know, you don't typically find a whale in two feet of water. It's got to have a much, you know, much more water than that. Same thing with these oral bacteria. The oral bacteria, as the pocket gets deeper, it starts to have less oxygen concentration down there. It has different food sources. And these bacteria that are pathogenic thrive on that. So as the pocket gets deeper, 
the bacteria are present. And what does your body say? Your body says, hey, I think there's some bad acting bacteria around your gums. I'm going to send in some defense cells and we're going to we're going to try to get rid of that. So what do we do? We create this chronic inflammatory war deep in the pocket where your body's trying to ward off these bacteria. They're growing like crazy because we're feeding them and we're supporting them and our saliva is altered. And what happens is these bacteria in our body are in a constant fight. And what happens is our body tries to create pus, which is what you get if you get a splinter in your finger. And what your body's trying to do is exfoliate your tooth. It's trying to get that tooth out of there because the bacteria are stuck to it. Your body doesn't like it. And so it's pushing those teeth out. And in the process, which takes years, Chris, it damages the gum and bone. So anybody that has the teeth that are getting longer, showing more root structure, um, showing spaces between the teeth, have black spots or, or something like that on the teeth, the teeth become loose, bad breath. These are all signs that something could be wrong and something could be going on. And over a long period of time, the teeth eventually get wiggly because they lose the support in the bone and they uh, fall out. That's called periodontal disease. So the teeth come out intact. They don't have holes in them. They don't have cavities. They just have loss of bone support because these bacteria work on this over time. And I see people in their 30s, uh, people in their late 20s and 30s with already 40, 50% bone loss. And um, these people will never retain their teeth long-term if they don't intercept the process. That's the, that's the silver lining of the story is until we get a significant amount of bone loss, we can intercept the process. The, but however, along the way, while this whole process is going on, and you alluded to this, we're picking up remnants of pathogenic bacteria in our body. And we not only have localized inflammatory issues, we have systemic inflammatory issues uh, along the way. So stopping and eliminating the exposure to high-risk pathogens that cause both bone and tissue degradation around the teeth and cause systemic illness, we have years to, to, to do that, and the earlier the better. The sooner I can get somebody identified, figure out who they are, and uh, teach them what to do, I, we can keep them healthy for years. And right now, I have a young couple, um, a couple guys in their early 30s. Uh, I have other people in their late 20s. Uh, we're finding out they already have vascular changes. They already have tooth issues at this young age. And when I can get those people in, we sit with them for an hour and educate them about what to do so they know what to do. And once we give someone and empower them with the knowledge of what to do, they can keep themselves healthy for years. And we measure it on a yearly basis to make sure they're staying safe. And so right. it's, a, it's, a great, it's a great opportunity. All right. And before we get into your total care approach to a patient with periodontal disease or somebody even who doesn't, frankly, just want to give them the best opportunity to have the best health, what's the mechanistic reality of the periodontal disease driving systemic illness? Is it translocation through the bloodstream of bacteria? Is it just turning on all the cytokines, I know you test for myeloperoxidase, you test for galactin-3. You're looking at these pro-inflammatory mediators of, of immunity. What's the mechanism, you know, in five minutes that we're really starting to understand how does the 
the oral motor, I'm mean, excuse me, the oral health dictates systemic health. Yeah, if you have the wrong, if you have the pathogenic uh, makeup, microorganisms, we know the main thing that happens is that they affect uh, vascular biology. The so the in the heart attack and stroke world, which the reason why we're focused so much on heart attack and stroke risk is it's the number one killer for you know for people and. Cognitive decline is the other one. And, you know, your brain needs to have a good blood supply in order to function. And as you start to diminish blood, blood supply, that's a big problem. And I would go so far as to say for young males, the first sign that you have a vascular clogging issue would be erectile dysfunction. So when you think about men over 40 um, and so many men can't even maintain an erection, uh, we know there's vascular, uh, it's one of the earliest signs of a vascular disease problem, but there's other early telltale signs as well. But to, to encapsulate this process, it affects the biology of the blood vessel. And how it affects the biology of the blood vessel is there's a protective lining in our blood vessel called the, end, called the endothelium. And so the endothelium is supposed to be uh, like, a, like a tarp over something you want to protect from the rain. It shouldn't leak. And when you have holes in the tarp, it leaks and stuff from the inside gets uh, inside the blood vessel, gets into the wall of the of the blood vessel. And so some of these bacteria cause what we call endothelial permeability. That's the first one of the first things they do. Then remnants of the bacteria, either from their cell wall or from uh, other aspects of the bacteria, will get into the wall of the blood vessel. And this is, again, anywhere in the 60,000 miles, not just your heart. It's not just your brain, it's your whole, it's your whole blood vessel system gets into the wall of the blood vessel. And in the wall of the blood vessel, it helps process these lipoproteins in a bad way to cause what we, what we know as plaque or atheroma. Uh, we call that plaque. That's plaque in your arteries. Most of the medical world is not concerned until your arteries get a significant blockage. We want to know even when they're starting to make that stuff, because we don't want it to get to be a blockage. So it'll help with the with the lipids. And I know there was a paper, um, it was a relatively uh, older paper uh, where it was a review, it was done by Dr. Shenkai, and it was a review of 152 literature references about how periodontal disease affects vascular disease and cardiovascular disease. And there were 97 papers, qualified medical papers, talking about how periodontal disease and the bugs in periodontal disease affect just lipids, just the concentration of lipids, the makeup of lipids and, and what it does. We also know antibodies are affected, blood characteristics are affected. And, um, and there's many mechanisms that we understand. So lipid change uh, is affected. And then if you have lipids in the wall of the blood vessel, and your body detects that, and you have some pathogenic microorganisms that are translocated, that are moved into the bloodstream because of the because of the bleeding gums and because of the access to the bloodstream from around the teeth, from tooth mobility and chewing, uh, from exposure to the uh, bad acting bacteria, uh, then your body can make a certain group of enzymes. And the enzymes, that's where myeloperoxidase comes in and LPPLA2 and some of these other things that we look at that are, it's quite sophisticated. Uh, then these enzymes can create instability of the atheroma, create instability of the atheroma. 
And if your body ever goes under stress from excess inflammation, uh, it's usually excess inflammation. That's the key. Oxidative stress and inflammation. If your body gets exposed to a lot of that, some of that enzymatic activity can create a little bit of that plaque to flip out and get into the bloodstream. And if it gets into the bloodstream, that's what causes a sudden clot because your body says, whoa, whoa, that's not supposed to be there. Forms a clot around that to stop it from moving around. And heaven forbid that clot lodges in your brain, that's a stroke. And if that clot lodges in one of the vessels that feeds your heart, it's a heart attack. And these are these in these little incidences are happening all the time. And uh, for people that have disease, and for people that have more severe disease, it can be, it can be, it is, it's life-threatening and, yeah. it, uh, and it causes great degradation. So the mechanism for the general pu public is, hey, if I have bad acting bacteria around my gums and on my teeth, that's going to affect my vascular system that feeds everything about me. And it could be very damaging. And so we want to control that. One of the infections that we didn't talk about is not only gum infection, gum disease, but we call it periapical infections as well. These are what we call, basically people would know it as an abscess. It, it, it forms at the end of the root. And that's also a very harmful group of bacteria that can cause a severe, what we call septicemia or bacteremia. It's basically where your body becomes insulted. You get a fever, uh, you get sick. These people end up in the hospital. And I've had people go to the hospital and die from tooth infections that are unmanaged, that are not managed. Uh, and it's um, it can make you very systemically ill. So that's another thing. If people aren't feeling well, they just have general malaise, they have they're feverish, they just don't feel great. And get your teeth checked out. Make sure you don't have anything going on with your teeth. Uh, so that's it. so that's the mechanism. That's the biggest mechanism that I think deserves the most attention. Yeah. Yeah, and it's 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 finally, I think, more common knowledge now that this is a route to cardiovascular disease. I think years ago it was scoffed at, or maybe you know, really, oh come on, that's not the problem. But it, it, to your point, it is a big, big deal. Okay, let's do one more thing before we go into how you would approach just general wellness and health from the tooth. Let's discuss the the data around perinatal complications and oral health for moms that are listening to this podcast and how important it is to have a very healthy oral microbiome as a pre-pregnant mother and then during pregnancy. Yeah. And as we talked about, um, we have tests that are coming out on the market and one might be available now. It's a family and maternity test. Even for those that are contemplating pregnancy, it'd be good to find out what your oral microbiome is made up of because it takes us a while to shift it to health. So it doesn't happen overnight, Chris. You can't come into the, to my office and and have us fix you overnight. Um, that doesn't happen. It takes actually several months sometimes to change the, the oral microbiome makeup. So for people who are thinking about having a family, uh, the uh, biggest, uh, there's probably 10 different pathogenic bacteria that are well, uh, well researched and studied that could have uh, perinatal and uh, and early uh, development complications. And so you wanna find out if you have those. And uh, again, that Fusobacterium nucleatum is one of those, uh, but, um, uh, but uh, preterm birth uh, from 
initiation of the inflammatory cascade, you know, what's thought that that's what happens uh, when a mom's pregnant, uh, we get an increase in, in, uh, in obviously uh, muscle elasticity. We, the muscles uh, have to expand to allow the baby to come out. And a lot of that's an inflammatory driven process. And so if we have a lot of this excess the body's being signaled that it's highly inflamed and the, uh, a woman's, uh, you know, eight months pregnant, seven months pregnant. Uh, sometimes your body gets tricked out into thinking, Hey, it's time for that baby to come. And uh, we get, what we call a preterm birth and preterm birth. You know, if the baby's not developed all the way, they have low birth weight. Um, their ability to survive is, is, uh, is hindered. And so we have what we call low birth weight babies uh, due to preterm birth. So, Again, we want to make sure we know these moms have healthy oral microbiome so we don't run that risk. Uh, there's other risks to the fetus that can be, uh, there can be an infection in the, um, in the, uh, in the amniotic uh, sac and the, basically the environment the baby's in. That fluid can become contaminated if the barrier is broken down and it doesn't uh, protect the, the fetus uh, correctly. Uh, so we can have uh, infection and we can have other issues that happen that affect uh, development, cognitive development for the fetus. Um, you know, you're, the body's growing at an exponential rate when you're, at, when you're that young. And so any kind of negative insult can have a big impact for the future, uh, especially if the body has a limited ability to heal or repair. So, th so it's really important to uh, have these young expectant mothers understand what's going on. Once that baby's here and we know they're safely here, now we need to have good environmental and hygiene things uh, that we know about uh, putting our children to sleep so that they can be healthy. Uh, never go to bed with a with a bottle of a sugary substance. Um, how we including including milk, right? Yes, including milk. And it's a, it's a common thing. Nothing but water should be in there if they need something to, uh, to, uh, to sleep with. And I don't care what kind of water, Chris, I could be, I'm not going to get hooked up on, is it uh, distilled water, reverse osmosis water? Is it any water is going to be healthy? Cause so many moms are putting them to bed with juice boxes and milk and other sugary substances that aren't healthy. So that's going to be really critically important because it's the initiation of that stuff and then the development of the first tooth, which comes sometime in the, in the, in the, you know, after the fifth month, now they have a fifth month of life. Now they have a tooth and that's what the biofilm can stick to and start to create this big problem and grow more biofilm as they get more teeth. So getting your, getting your young child, and your baby used to you putting a clean finger with a terry cloth towel or uh, something in the mouth to swab the gums and rub the teeth and uh, getting the child used to and adapted to having something in their mouth and then giving them a toothbrush to play with and a toothbrush to chew on and munch on um, is going to start to initiate some friction or some removal process that can start to scrub the teeth and help keep that plaque biofilm burden low. So, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think about, 
how important it is to reduce any upstream trigger for perinatal complications or preterm delivery, because that's the direct antecedent risk factor for neurodiversity problems, including autism spectrum disorder. And to your point, sugar is a major player in all of these processes from an inflammatory perspective. And we now know maternal activation syndrome is related to gestational diabetes, which also is clearly a trigger for perinatal disease, perinatal, I mean, excuse me, periodontal disease. So it's all tied together. And every tied together. Yeah. Every interview I have, it seems to come, you know, tied as a web. Everything is linked to this entire lifestyle related anthropologic upstream risk factors of disease. Oh, by the way, to your point, susceptibility makes a difference. If you have perfect genes, you probably are protected, but most of us don't. So it's right. our best interest to do the work no matter what. Don't take the chance that you're going to find out on the back end that you needed to do the work when it was too late. So on that note, let's do the work right now. If 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 Dr. Doug Thompson is going to send out into the 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 cyberverse right now, what is the perfect approach to in 2023? That is right. Cause we know we're going to modify over time as learn more through the science. Sure. What's the best approach right now to oral health in humans? Yeah. The best approach first off is going to be um, it's going to involve proper maintenance of the teeth. And, you know, Chris, it's not easy to clean the teeth. They're very complex structures. They have unique nooks and crannies. Um, so if you're spending 17, 18 seconds brushing your teeth, it's not enough. Uh, it takes really a couple minutes to thoroughly debride the teeth. And then we have a lot of methodologies today. If you go down into the toothpaste aisle and you go to the uh, oral care section in any pharmacy, uh, you're going to see so many different options of thing of ways to clean in between your teeth and clean the top of your teeth. So number one, you got to clean the top of your teeth and you got to clean in between your teeth. Let's just say you didn't get that message and you have bacteria or biofilm that's growing on the teeth. Uh, the next thing that we want to figure out is what's the makeup of that biofilm? So all of my patients that want to know, is my mouth healthy or not healthy? I need to test them. I can't see it. I can't see it. Some people even have pathogenic microorganisms. And the very first sign that we see is a little bit of inflammation around the, around the gum tissue, redness of the gum tissue, or maybe they see some blood on their floss or a little bit of pink when they brush their teeth. Um, this is going to be some of the earliest signs that there's a maybe a dysbiosis, but then we have to test for it. And if we can get a test for it, these tests are inexpensive. You can even do it through the mail. So they could go to my website and look up, uh, look it up and we could help them through the mail uh, just to get a, uh, just to get a simple saliva test so they could see if they have a pathogenic uh, makeup and if they have a concern, you know, beyond the mouth that's significant. And there's ways we can do that now. And the companies are marketing to consumers. So there's tests that can tell us that. Um, and we could, you know, we could talk about some of those tests if we need to. And then if you have that, then you really need to take care of it. And my message to people is, if you have a pathogenic oral microbiome, we can help you. Most dentists, Chris, are just learning how to do this. I've been studying it for 15 years, and we know how to alter this microbiome to get it to a state of health and to get it back to a place where it won't cause harm. And I'm not the end all, Chris, in making people healthy. I just have a part. I have a role in a much bigger process, and my job is to take the mouth out of the equation as a contributor 
to whole body degradation, disease issues. And we can do that in our identification of people with, with bacteria issues, yeast issues, viral issues. And we can do it for people that have sleep issues or breathing problems. Um, the mouth and the nose are, are, it's how we eat and breathe. And so we are all getting more skilled in how to identify problems and how to get people help that have problems because sleep apnea is another thing we could spend two days talking about. Right. Absolutely. And a lot of the typical dental groups out there are not looking at this information as you are to the depth for sure that you are. I know you speak to some of the labs. I know oral DNA life or is it oral DNA labs is one that yeah. you can use. So speak to some of the labs that people can research the websites to get involved in this process if they feel like they need to. Yeah. Oral, oral DNA labs is a nice lab. Uh, they have a nice test. Uh, they have a test for yeast, which is separate than their test for bacteria. Um, but these are two tests that I order. I order those tests on every patient that has, uh, that has periodontal disease. I, um, I take, I make sure that every patient that has periodontal disease, um, is, um, is aware of uh, what the makeup is. And I use that company. There's a company out of Seattle, Washington uh, called Phytolab that has a nice test. Um, Bristle is a new consumer test that's out. And Bristle will give you a snapshot into your oral microbiome, your gut microbiome. And it will uh, also give you other health-related information about the bacterial makeup in your body. They use a different approach, but this is a this is a, a test that's um, available to the consumer. You can just go to bristle.com and you can order that test. Uh, we can help you with the results and understand the results. Um, another uh, new test called Simply Perio from Spectrum Diagnostics is coming out on the market. Um, Aura Vital is Toronto, Canada. So for your people outside the United States, the Aura Vital company in Toronto has a nice uh, bacteria test that can help our Canadian listeners, uh, you know, uh, learn about that. And then there's tests all over the world. I have dentists as part of our network in Australia, New Zealand, Spain, um, England, and um, Switzerland. And they can also uh, they can also um, be part of uh, be part of this testing. So if you go online and you look up saliva testing and look at the labs, there's not only a great chance there's somebody in your community or somebody in your uh, within your jurisdiction that you could order these labs from and you could find this information out. And we would be able to help anybody that that um, that we could help too. So. And your website again is www.wellnessdentistrynetwork. Uh, dentistry yeah, wellnessdentistrynetwork.com. That's my uh, that's my teaching website for dentists and for people to look for a dentist. Uh, my office, my actual clinical office name, Chris, is Integrative Oral Medicine. Integrative Oral Medicine is in Bloomfield Hills, Michigan. And that's a www.ioral med i o r a l m e d dot com that would be my uh that's my personal that's my clinical office website perfect and 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 in my experience in pediatrics when it comes to inflammatory diseases of any kind especially things of the nature <laughs> of like pans pandas if the upstream risk factors don't change even though we will make 
like to your point, we look at the oral DNA labs, we figure out what is dysfunctional, dysbiotic, we do the work. If the upstream triggers don't change, the diet doesn't change, the potential mouth breathing, the the vaping, the whatever those antecedent risk factors maintain in place, they're going to slide back to dysbiosis again, correct? No, no question about it, that the, uh, that the environmental and behavioral change is significant. Uh, and it's necessary. And that's why these diseases, Chris, are called chronic. Uh, your body, you can't brush it away. Your body, uh, your body can't adjust to it when you're sick. You're, if your mouth is sick and you have a dysbiotic biofilm in your mouth, it wants to stay that way. And it's unfortunate that our body just can't heal it itself, but it just doesn't. And so we have to assist and we have to uh, help uh, the patient identify what the main risk factors are that they're being exposed to. And then we mitigate those. Yeah, Doug, this is fantastic. We went all over the map on this conversation. I absolutely love it. And Good. so any any parting words, any other places people can follow you, Facebook or Instagram? Do you have any other sites or is it mostly just the, the wellness yeah, I dentistry? Don't, I don't do as much with social media, but they can always reach out and contact me through uh, through um, the iOralMed, the Integrative Oral Medicine um, uh, website or the Wellness Dentistry Network. And you can help find other dentists there and uh, I want to create a team of professionals that know what to do and that um, and that can help people be healthier because Chris, it has such a lasting impact. And if you think if you have a, a young couple, young parents, and they can teach their children what to do and they know what to do, um, they can you can you can prevent so much expense uh, on the healthcare side and you can prevent so many unnecessary hospital experiences for people. And um, it just changes their life. And I can tell you that uh, I'll close with this. When you're healthy, Chris, you want a million wishes. You want a bigger boat. You want a different vacation. You want all kinds of things. But when you're sick and you're laying in bed, you just want one thing. You want one thing. And what I want to do is I want to arm your listening population with some little bit of advice on how maybe they could have a million wishes. That's the idea. I don't want anybody to be sick because of their mouth. Amen. That is so true. It's a reality that all of us take for granted until we're without health. So final question. I ask this of all my guests. You have a golden ticket. You get to go to Congress or the president, hand it in and get one thing changed that makes a lasting effect to what you want. And while you're thinking, I'll give you mine. Mine is pretty simple. I think we should st we should change school food, should be chefs in every kitchen of the schools in every part of this country, and they should only be fed real food, whole food, organic food, no processing, no sugar, none of that. So that's my ask, my wish. What's yours? My wish is that um, insurance companies would have more of a health uh, would be more involved in healthcare instead of sick care. Uh, I wish insurance companies would be more open-minded to, uh, give to giving patients the, um, giving patients the courage, uh, first off to, uh, to understand that sometimes we have to have skin in the game, but what about the, all the people that don't have access to care, Chris, and the people that can't afford uh, or don't afford or don't understand this? And the insurance companies have created an adversarial relationship between us and health. And um, and I know that uh, it's about money and it's about politics. And that's a tough spot to be. That's, that's a tough spot. And it's a shame that um, that our meta that our insurance community 
uh, isn't more supportive of uh, taking the science that we know and uh, allowing people an opportunity to be healthier. So uh, we spend way too much money on the dying patient. We don't spend anywhere near enough on people to be, to be well when they're alive. And uh, in the last three weeks of our life or three months of our life or a few months of our life, we spend millions of dollars trying to keep people alive. And it's way too late. It's way yeah. too late. 100% agree with you. Uh, every single time I do a podcast, that is a truism throughout uh, the discussions, a pound, ounce of prevention, pound of cure. We've known it for millennia, yet we continue to fight against a system that has zero interest in doing the right thing on that front. And I take your point well and loud and clear. And I agree with you. I wish we could get that pushed through. But you and I are doing the work every day at the front lines yeah. with the patients. And I applaud you for your career, your efforts, your love of the human and the patients in front of you. And thank you for your time today, Doug. I know it's uh, early for you over there in Washington. And I am grateful that you are up with me this early in the morning on the other side of the country and Zooming and talking and giving away this intellect that you have spent such a li lifetime building and growing. And uh, just thank you. Well, you're welcome. And thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. I truly believe that we are at the forefront of a new wave in the past decade of how to practice medicine from a whole patient approach, as you've heard with recent guests. This is the new, for me, paradigm that we should be shifting into in all disciplines. Now, from the pediatric and maternal health perspective, oral health turns out to be incredibly important towards long-term health for everyone. The data continues to circulate in the literature space that Dr. Thompson is speaking to. And I want to look at a couple of those papers right now, because for me, pregnancy and the perinatal state is super important. So I pulled a recent paper from the journal International Journal of Women's Health, Volume 9, uh, from 2017, published by Charles M. Cobb. And the title of the article is The Oral Microbiome and Adverse Pregnancy Outcomes. And what they noted in this abstract is that significant evidence supports an association with periodontal pathogenic bacteria and preterm birth and preeclampsia. And again, remember that story we talked about with uh, Dr. Rick Johnson how fructose is driving significant metabolic changes that happens to coincide with perinatal complications, specifically preterm birth and preeclampsia. And oh, by the way, fructose also is a sugar that is involved in tooth decay and periodontitis. The article goes on to state the virulence properties assigned to specific oral pathogenic bacteria, for example, Fusobacterium nucleatum, Porphyromonas gingivalis, Philofactor allocus, Campylobacter rectus, and others render them as potential collaborators and adverse outcomes in pregnancy. Several pathways have been suggested for this association. Hematogenous spread or bacteremia through the blood of periodontal pathogens, or hematogenous spread of multiple mediators of inflammation that are generated by the host, us, and or the fetus in immune response to these pathogenic bacteria in the oral microbiome. Or a third possibility, that the possibility of the oral microbial pathogen transmission with subsequent colonization in far-off areas, including the vaginal microbiome, resulting from sexual practices. 
And as periodontal disease is, for the most part, preventable, the medical and dental public health communities can address these intervention-based strategies to control oral inflammatory disease, lessen the systemic inflammatory burdens, and ultimately reduce potential adverse pregnancy outcomes. There we go. Potentially reduce adverse pregnancy outcomes. There's the key. So if we believe, as the data continuously shows, this was back in 2017, we have something to be said here around the issue of human health, oral microbiomes, driven by all kinds of factors, as we stated in the podcast with Dr. Thompson talking about food is a big player, right? Exposure to antimicrobials, exposure to oral mouth breathing issues, exposure to potentially obesity. Uh, There's a whole host of reasons why someone's oral microbiome may be dysfunctional. And now we know that that may in turn lead to dysfunctional pregnancies, which then for me are very problematic because if that's associated with potential fetal outcomes that are negative, that's massively important. So it's a multi-multimodal effect that is long-term consequences on all humans. Or what about this study? In Current Research in Microbial Sciences, December 2021. Dysbiosis in salivary bacterial diversity of postpartum females and its association with oral health problems and EPOs by Dr. Khadija, K-H-A-D-I-J-A. And they note in the abstract that in postpartum females, streptococcus mutans was significantly more prevalent and its colonization and biofilms was significantly associated with females having gingivitis, dental caries, and the fact that they would give birth to lower weight babies, which is a long-term complication risk factor for the infant. They found that there was a culture positive volume that was increased for differential species that were potentially dysfunctional, Staphylococcus, different gram-positive rods, uh, and meningitis, Klebsiella pneumonia, and Enterobacter, which I found interesting. They noted that alpha diversity, which is a type of coding uh, understanding of different types of bacterial species, but alpha diversity was decrease in postpartum females having oral health issues with preterm low weight births compared to females with full term births. And that bacterial biodiversity in general and abundance was altered among females with different oral health conditions and pregnancy outcomes that had pathogenic potential. So in other words, another study stating that yet again, what is going on in the oral microbiome has outcome associations with the health of the child and the perinatal realities. What about a a third one here? Journal of Reproductive Immunology, June 2021, entitled Oral Microbiome in Pregnancy, a Bidirectional Relationship. And what did they note in this piece? They noted that the oral cavity contains the second most complex microbial population within the human body next to the intestinal microbiome with over 700 bacterial organisms. They state, and I quote, the human oral microbiome varies dramatically during different stages of life, including pregnancy. The total viable microbial counts in pregnant women are known to be higher compared to non-pregnant women, especially in the first trimester of pregnancy. A balanced oral microbiome is vital for a healthy pregnancy, as perturbations in the oral microbiome composition can contribute to pregnancy complications. 
On the other hand, physiological changes and differences in hormone levels during pregnancy increase susceptibility to various oral diseases such as gingivitis and periodontitis. A growing body of evidence supports the link between the composition of the oral microbiome and adverse pregnancy outcomes such as preterm birth, preeclampsia, and low birth weight. And the data continues to pile up. There is an article by Sean F. Kane, K-A-N-E, entitled The Effects of Oral Health on Systemic Health. And it is a good one if you want to get a deeper read into this. It's published in General Dentistry from 2017. It gives nice pictures looking at a normal tooth and what that looks like. It gives you actually a really nice discussion of what Dr. Thompson was talking about with the deepening pocket of the sulcus. Talks about plaques and calculus, talks about inflammation, bone loss, gingivitis. And it really goes through a nice a couple page discussion and then you get a an analysis of all the different associated disease states that are potentially linked between oral health and systemic health. So what Dr. Thompson's group is trying to do is to understand what keystone species in the oral health microbiome are there to protect us and what species are pathogenic causing inflammation that leads to systemic disease and problems that, you know, are what for us are downstream risk factors of big issue. You know, we know that keystone healthy species help prevent inflammatory disease by keeping dysbiotic microflora, dysbiotic pathogenic bacteria at bay. It keeps them in balance. But that balance can be disrupted by many things we really want to protect against that. So how do we do that? Well, of course, we want to avoid consuming large volumes of refined carbohydrates and sugar, as stated in many, many podcasts, right? We want to make sure we're keeping our salivary volume up, breathing with our mouth closed, making sure we fix any problems that are associated with that mouth breathing, whether that's a anatomic problem, as stated by Dr. Thompson, or is it an allergic problem? You're just stuffed all the time, stuffy all the time from having allergies or calmic protein intolerance causing mucus congestion in your upper airway. There's a million things that I could think of in that space, and all these things need to be ferreted out for a healthy oral microbiome to maintain itself. Because we know that dysbiosis, as stated in this podcast, is the root cause of oral health dysfunction, periodontal disease, and then likely all kinds of systemic dysfunction. Understanding the mechanisms behind the dysbiosis as stated are critical. And how do you find that answer? Well, you really have to look. You have to start understanding. You have to start doing analyses, doing these DNA tests to see what does your microbiome look like. And then understanding the functional relevance of the the dysbiosis pattern or the the healthy biosis pattern, you know, what does it look like? And then making appropriate decisions based on that, which is what the Wellness Dentistry Network group is trying to do in their consortium, trying to put together multiple brains to say, hey, what's the best way to treat this situation? When we think about true dysbiosis in the oral cavity, we have to understand that the immune system is front and center in trying to handle these problems, right? So if you have abnormal bacteria, the immune system is going to react. And how does it react? It releases cellular chemicals called cytokines, and they're going to come in and start to recruit other pathogen-killing mechanisms like neutrophils or different kinds of white blood cells. And the neutrophils turn out to be the primary cellular defense mechanism against dysbiotic organisms. And those neutrophils will come in and unfortunately they'll do damage if they're constantly having to deal with microbes that are abnormal, right? They're the most common white blood cell recruited to the periodontal pocket around that disappearing 
you know, periodontal tissue next to the tooth hiding in that sulcus, right? And those neutrophils, they're not adept at phagocytizing or eating biofilm bacteria because the biofilm is hiding the bacteria. So they're sitting there just causing trouble. They're frustrated and they're releasing chemicals upon chemicals into the system, trying to figure out how to break that down. Instead of getting at the biofilm, they're actually disrupting your own tissue. So we end up with neutrophil-derived toxic substances that destroy our periodontal tissue. And that's sort of what we would call sort of a collateral damage or friendly fire effect. So killing those biofilms is super important. And that's something that, you know, Dr. Thompson and his group are again doing. So if you are at risk for these forms of disorders, if you have any signs of tooth or periodontal abnormalities, your gums are bleeding constantly, you're struggling with um, pain in your teeth, you have tooth loss, you have caries, highly recommend getting in touch with a dentist who understands periodontal disease in a way that is cutting edge and forward thinking and associated with systemic health. And that is Dr. Doug Thompson. So I highly encourage you to check out his website. He is at uh, www.ioralmed.com. Integrative oral medicine is the other way. If you type that in, it should come up, but www.ioralmed.com. And he's also on Facebook and Instagram if you want to follow him. He had a uh, news show on the radio, which you can get to through his website as well. And just, uh, you know, click on some of his blogs and test his information on his site and you'll start to understand more. But ultimately, I think, you know, find him or find another in his sphere of influence that can help you if you suffer from these diseases. But for me, I really think we should be talking to women pre-pregnancy and during the pregnancy state to try and understand if there's anything we can do to help systemic health to prevent any side ways, issues related to perinatal complications, perinatal health, preterm births, preeclampsia, any of the above. Okay. I think with that, we're going to leave it this week. As always, hug those kids. I appreciate your time. If you have a desire to, please go rate this on Apple Podcasts and let me know what you think. Leave an actual testimonial or statement, good or bad, doesn't matter. I'm just always interested in Email me at newsletter at Salisbury Pediatrics with an S.com and tell me any guests you'd like to hear from or anything you're interested in or just drop me a note. As always, have a great day. Hug those kids. Now for the disclaimer. The information provided in this podcast is for Educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for advice and or treatment provided by your physician or other healthcare professional and is not to be used to diagnose or treat a health issue and does not constitute the provider-patient relationship formation.